HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, this is Jessica, and welcome to a special episode of Cutting the Curd, recorded live in the Heritage Radio Network podcast lounge at the Art of Cheese Festival in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, this first-time event brought together cheesemakers, dairy farmers, mongers, chefs, and cheese lovers to celebrate Wisconsin's 180-year history of cheesemaking excellence. What follows are three conversations from the podcast lounge. I spoke with cheesemakers Orfi Piotin of Alpinage Cheese, Marika Penterman of Marika Gouda, and cheesemaker and management consultant Ricardo Gutierrez Cruz. Each one of them moved to Wisconsin from another country, France, the Netherlands, and Mexico, respectively. Each one has made cheesemaking their craft and the dairy state their home. But their paths to cheese and to Wisconsin are distinct. We talk about the allure of Wisconsin and the joy that cheese brings to life. I hope you enjoy listening to their stories as much as I did at the festival. I'm here with Orphe Piotin. Hi, Jessica. Thank you How for are having you? me. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Can you start off by telling us where you're from and what you're doing here at the Art of Cheese? So my name is Orfi, and uh, I've been living in Milwaukee for almost eight years. I'm from France, uh, from Paris. And uh, yeah, I moved here not to make cheese, actually. Uh, I had a, another career, but uh, I uh, met my girlfriend. It's very cliche what I'm going to say, but my girlfriend, she's from a dairy farm in, in Milwaukee. Actually, from Wisconsin, sorry. And uh, yeah, uh, for like the past eight years, her, her parents pretty much grew me into becoming a cheesemaker. So, <laughs> because I'm French. So I was like, you know, it kind of makes sense. I was like, you know what, I think it makes sense. And I uh, didn't really, I don't know, I, I didn't find any purpose in my uh, previous job. I was working in IT and I wanted to make a change, which is, you know, when you turn, I guess, 30 and you're like, okay, I, I want to do something else with my life. And uh, then I thought about cheese, cheese making. And uh, obviously it was not that simple. It took a couple of years to actually, you know, uh, get things going. But um, it was a great opportunity, obviously, with my girlfriend's family being in the dairy industry to, you know, uh, get introduced to, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this world, which is a very small world, but it's also uh, not an easy world to get into if you're not from this, uh, from this you know, uh, environment, especially me coming from another country as well. It was not really easy, but a uh, good choice. Quit my job and I'm full-time cheesemaker. I don't make any money anymore, but, you know, I'm happy. I'm excited every morning, which is, which is what, I, what I wanted. So now I feel alive, so I'm pretty happy about this. And the creamery is Alpinage. Alpinage. And you are gaining quite a reputation, I believe, on a national level now because the cheese community likes to talk. And uh, it's a reputation based on raclette. It is true. So it's kind of a, also another cliche. I'm French. So I was like, I'm going to make some raclette cheese, which is very popular in Europe. 
Um, but I really want to, you know, uh, focus on, I want to make an American raclette, which is kind of a very unique in a way, because, you know, all the raclette are coming from France or Switzerland, and we really wanted to make an American raclette. We're in America here. I'm, I know I'm French, but I'm not trying to bring you stuff that we eat in France, because we have different tastes. Uh, so we work on a recipe a little bit sweeter, uh, a little bit less pungent than the one in France that you can also eat as a table cheese, which is, I think, very important here. It's not just a melting cheese. So we work on it, and today we have a, you know, I, I don't know if it's the f not the first one, but a, a unique American raclette. So, yeah, that's pretty proud of that. Oh. And you talked a bit about the process of... Uh, becoming a cheesemaker in Wisconsin, you ne actually need to get a cheesemaker's license, right? You need to like go to school. True. What was that like? Yeah. So I, so first I, I found out that yeah, you need a license uh, to be a cheesemaker here in, in 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 Wisconsin. So what I did, still working on my previous job, I was going to uh, University of uh, um, Wisconsin Madison, which is right down the street here, and I was taking classes for like a year. Then I did a, an internship, still working at my job. So it was kind of uh, tricky, but uh, and then after a year and a half, uh, I got uh, the license, which gives you the permission to not only make cheese but also sell cheese. So it was very important. So, so do you enjoy the cheese making part um, more than the selling part? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the, the, the cheese making part is very fun. I, I did uh, some internship in France as well. I was trying to get as much knowledge as possible, not just from here but also from Europe. So flew back and forth a couple times, and uh, yeah, the cheese making is very nice, very interesting. It's exhausting, though. It is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's very exhausting, but you know, I think it's really important you know what you sell. So the fact that we actually make the cheese, when we try to sell it, we can talk about it. And I think it's really important. Uh, now we're not a dairy farmer, because you know, we can't open a farm. We're in 2023 in America, and I don't have $20 million to open a dairy farm. So we do partner with a dairy farm where we can use you know, their equipment and their milk, but we do have our own dairy plant as well where we only age the cheese. So that's a very unique way of our company. We age the cheese on wood board in an open air environment where we wash the wheel, flip them, uh, and not a lot of company actually do this. So we've, we ended up just building one, which was uh, you know, kind of scary because obviously it required, again, some capital investment. Uh, but uh, today that's kind of our our angle in this industry is to make uh, open air aged washed rind cheese, which is not very common. As you know, it's, I mean, it's maybe more and more common now, especially on the East Coast and on the West Coast, but uh, in, in, in the Midwest, it's, it's still not super common. So that's why we came up with our own dairy plant as well. Small, but you know, if, efficient in a way. For and us. that's more common in France. Very common in <laughs> France. So in France, it's a little bit different than here. Uh, I mean, I don't, here it's more like you have a pretty large uh, dairy plants. They make a uh, pretty large volume of cheese and then they sell it. In France, we have a lot of small farmers with like 50, 60 cows, which doesn't really exist in, in America uh, because it's not sustainable. So it's usually larger operation. Uh, so all these small dairy farmers, they make their own small volume cheese and then they sell it to affineur, which is the aging expert who will age the cheese and then resell it under their brand. So, which is kind of what we're trying to do here. Uh, the only difference is like, we make the cheese too. Anyway, it's kind of confusing, but you know, it's, it's our angle to approach this industry uh, without having to spend money we don't have because it's just too expensive. So, uh, yeah. So you talked about raclette and you talked about it's wash rind cheese. Yep. And wash rind cheeses can get pretty pungent. And yep. um, I always find that their bark is worse than their bite. They actually taste much uh, mellower, meatier than they smell. Uh, That's true. So, That's true. Um, but part of the magic of the wash rind cheese, I'm going to butcher this word because I don't speak French and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Do we actually call it a morgue solution? Morge? Morge. 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 You're right. You're right. So, can you talk a little bit about what that is and um, and that process of washing? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, if you eat any, well, the majority of cheese that you you may eat uh, at the store, uh, usually they don't have a rind, or if they have a rind, it's usually a plastic rind that you don't eat. So that's the difference with our cheese and all the other wash rind cheese. So we wash the, the wheels, and you're gonna have this rind forming on the outside of the cheese that you can eat, and we use a solution of water. Uh, and salt that we actually wash the cheese with. 
And over time, you're going to have the, the, the rind is going to form, and the flavor is actually coming from the rind in, uh, outside in. I can say mm -hmm. that, yeah. which, which is, again, another way to make cheese. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it gives that kind of a unique flavor to the, to the product. So. Right. And, and how do you pronounce that word again? Morsh. 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 Yeah, Morsh. you got it. You got it. <laughs> so you also make a flavored raclette? Yeah, we do. We kind of uh, branched out to make some flavored raclette as well. So we add some flavor to our cheese. Um, so we do have like five or six flavors. Um, and the classic one, which is no flavor added, just naturally itch. Uh, so, yeah. Right. Which is a beautiful flavor on its own. Yeah, it is. It is. It, I wouldn't say it's unfortunate, but we, we do have uh, a demand for flavor, which is kind of taking away the whole point of aging cheese this way. Because if you put cumin seeds, it's going to taste cumin. Do you think that that's like a uniquely American market thing that we, we want um, flavors and, and almost feels like... Um, new flavors, like, oh, well, yeah. what are you doing this year? Yeah. Or like, do you have any new flavors? It is. It is very, it's very typical from the American market. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of cheese, they are making so many flavors now, uh, which is, it's pretty unique. I mean, I like it. I think it's, it's really cool. But uh, for the cheese we make, the flavor should come from the naturally environments and washed rind, not just the flavor you put in the cheese. Uh, but again, we have some demand for it and uh, it's still really good. So we, we, we do make it. So yesterday, I had the opportunity to attend one of the excursions uh, that the Art of Cheese Festival was providing for attendees. And part of that was a lunch. And the chef had made a sourdough focaccia, and they melted, it felt like wedges, not just like small slices, but like thick slices of your raclette were melted on top. And it was... Phenomenal. All, all focaccia should have alpinage <laughs> raclette melted on top. But I think a lot of it um, was the added elements of flavor. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then also, I don't know if there was garlic coming from the bread or if it was just something about the interaction of the cheese and the bread that were giving all of these really herbaceous and like alum type flavors. What flavors or pairings do you like to um, put together with your raclette? Usually, uh, raclette is actually a meal by itself. So you eat it with you know, potatoes. Um, you melt it on potatoes with uh, some pickles for the acidity, and sometimes some crispy bread and some dry meat. So it's a full meal by itself. Now, if you don't want to do the full meal and you know, melt it and all this, you can also eat it as a table cheese. And you can pair it with uh, usually a good uh, dry white wine uh, and you know obviously some fruits as well another I mean for pairing it's you can pair it with everything pretty much uh, you can obviously propose stuff but I think if you really want to experience a raclette uh, cheese you have to do the full dish you know with boiled potatoes dry meat some pickles I mean it's it's really good especially in winter and here in Wisconsin it's cold pretty much all the time so you know it's it would be a, a great meal for winter <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, are you seeing the future of alpinage? Are you sticking with raclette? Are you looking at other, making other styles of cheese? Yeah, we're trying to make another, so much smaller, soft cheese. So, a very soft texture cheese. Also, kind of a, um, a cheese from France, which is a Roblochon style cheese. Oh, we're trying to make it here. Which we can't get here because um, it's anymore raw because it's raw milk. And it yeah. really is a fabulous cheese. It's really complicated to make, actually. And wow. we're still trying to you know, make it experience, experience with this cheese. But that's, that's where we want to go. So not just raclette, but also another cheese. And also we want to, um, you know, when, when you make like artisan cheese, it's probably not interesting for you guys much, but uh, it's really hard to get into mass retail. But when I say mass retail, it's to have this cheese available to as much people as possible because usually this kind of cheese is only available in specialized cheese shop. And if you want to buy it at a store, usually it's in a very specific packaging. And all this is a whole different world that we're learning right now, the packaging world. And we're trying to figure out how we can get our cheese to as much people as possible. And, you know, working with one cheese doesn't seem a lot. But actually, when you take all this into account, it's a lot of stuff to figure out, uh, which is actually outside of the cheese, unfortunately. But, you know, packaging distribution is also very important. And it takes a lot of time. So, yeah, yes, it's... 
You mentioned uh, Reblachon uh, as being a kind of a difficult cheese to make. What makes it difficult to make? What makes, what makes a cheese difficult to make? So for, for the raclette, for example, the wheels, they are like 12 pounds. Uh, so it's quite heavy. So when you have to wash like 500 pounds by yourself, <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my God. So that's one of the you know, hard part to do. Also to make it, it's never easy to make cheese, whatever cheese you make. Uh, for the Roblochon, the difference with the raclette is like the, you have different stage of aging. You have to dry the cheese first and you have to wash the cheese in another room with different humidity and temperature. So it requires uh, you know, uh, uh, more equipment uh, to do it. And it's a very uh, fragile cheese. You age it only for three weeks, so you can't mess it up. Uh, so when you put that all together from the making, the aging, with different stage, uh, you have a lot of room to make mistakes. So. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's fun, though. No, it's fun. So. Do you have any particular uh, cheeses from Wisconsin that you would say are ones you find yourself eating a lot? Like, are, you, are there any that you're like, wow, you know what? France yeah. needs to know. Well, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. When I moved here from France, I was like, there is no way to make cheese here. Because obviously, I have the cliche of like, we, we're French. The cheese coming from France, not coming from America. So I moved to Wisconsin. And my girlfriend, her parents actually had their own cheese, cheese company, and they gave me some cheese, and I tried it, and I actually loved it. I was like, damn, they made some good cheese here. And that's what I love about America. You guys are so, you're focused on innovation, and that's amazing in this country. You're not just say, well, we're Americans, so we don't know how to make wine, we don't know how to make cheese, or we don't know how to make beer. To be honest, I think you make the best beer in the world. The cheese is honestly getting to probably the best cheese in the world now. People are actually innovating constantly in cheese, and it's amazing. In France, we kind of sleep on our knowledge, and it's kind of unfortunate, because you guys are moving forward with everything you do. It's pretty amazing. You know you're a part of that now. Yeah, I know. I'm not American yet, but I, I'm really impressed by what you guys do in this country. And uh, you're learning, you're moving forward, and uh, that's great, and in cheese, the same thing. So, you know, cheddar, uh, gouda, cheese curds, obviously. Uh, I discovered that here, and I actually love it, and I think it's it's great what hap what's happening here uh, with, with cheese. And there is still room for people like us trying to make cheese that are very popular in Europe because you guys are open to new stuff. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I think that listeners uh, should all keep their eyes open for Alpinage Raclette. And actually, something that's often said is if you know, one of the best ways to get your cheese out there and distribute it is for people to ask for it. That's true. So uh, I really think that um, what you're doing is very innovative and delicious, and we want to see you guys grow and thank you um, so much. Ha have that cheese available. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, Alpinage Raclette. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Thank you thank for you, being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm here with Marika Penterman. Many of you are probably familiar with her cheese. Marika Gouda is a definite favorite amongst the American cheese community. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about Marika Gouda and uh, your company? Um, yeah, so uh, Marike Gouda um, was named after me. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a great name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, we're heading towards our 17th anniversary on November 22nd. Um, I'm, I actually, my accent, like, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm not really from Wisconsin. <laughs> but I'm working on it, you betcha. Uh, but I'm born and raised on a 60-cow dairy farm in the Netherlands. And we uh, traveled half the world because we love cows. I know there are other states that say they have happy cows, but if you really, like... Wisconsin has extremely happy cows. So, um, and so if you love cows and you're looking for some opportunities and um, dairy is in your blood, um, then you most likely end up in Wisconsin. And that's what happened with us. So uh, we started to dairy farm. And after a while, I discovered that they have a lot of wonderful cheeses over here, but I couldn't find my Gouda that's running through my veins. So, um, so I, that's a little bit how Marie Gouda started. Amazing, because I love to hear what is it that you were looking for in a Gouda that you weren't finding here? What were the, what were the dimensions or nuances that you say, yeah, that's a good one? 
Yeah, so first of all, like I uh, thought where we ended uh, is about a 1600 population uh, town. So the the, um, the exposure you have to a lot of good cheeses is pretty minimum. Uh, so I had to would drive, I would have to drive about an hour to find some, uh, to a bigger city to find a little bit better Gouda. And yet that Gouda was still that rack wax Gouda with very yellow. And I'm like, God, oh, this is not the Gouda I'm used from home. So I would always ask family, and friends to bring the cheese because I couldn't get that taste that I was looking for uh, over here. And I think um, when you export it, like the red wax uh, helps uh, protect the cheese during transportation, but it doesn't let the cheese breathe. Um, so that's one of the things where uh, you get that really uh, maturing of the aging of the of the cheeses is not being done correctly when you do it yourself. So Correct, that's yeah. one of the things I was looking for and I couldn't find it. So uh, we started making cheese and I had actually no idea how to make cheese. <laughs> no way. So what were those first days like? How did you like, was it just trial and error? And when did you, when was the moment when you were like, I think I'm onto something? Um, yeah, so that was kind of, so I remember the, the moment that I thought, okay, I have an issue going on. I have not enough cheese because the customs got uh, tougher and tougher and people couldn't bring my cheese because I couldn't find it here. Um, and um, there was a cow calving at night and I'm like, that's it. We have the good Wisconsin milk. I'm missing my Gouda. We're going to make cheese. So uh, then I actually had to overcome the fact that I didn't know how to make cheese. So I actually went back to Holland, uh, worked along one day with a lady that had 10 cows and one day with a farmer that had 200 cows. And it was fun to see the difference between them because between Gouda and Gouda, like it's a water wash curd. So one cheesemaker was washing the curd once and the other one was washing it twice on different temperature levels. So you drain some of the way, you add water to it, and then you play with how much water you add to it, the volume, uh, the how much, and the temperatures, and how long you wash it. So, and it was fun to see the difference between the both um, uh, Gouda uh, producers. And, yeah. um, and I took that knowledge with me at home, and I had to do an, um, I did a short basic uh, cheesemaker course. So you had to do five courses and an apprenticeship of 240 hours, but my licensed cheesemaker mentor did not know how to make cheese. So that was all I had, two days <laughs> of cheesemaking. But it was fun. Yeah, I would say it's worked out. And I do want to say you shared before we started um, the official conversation with microphones, you shared <laughs> that you are on your way. You are going to become a master cheesemaker. Yeah, so uh, when, when I had the idea, uh, I came in contact with an organization called DBIC, Dairy Business Innovation Center. And uh, I remember Norm Munson came out and we were talking about it. He says, that's wonderful. They, they support people with a farmstead idea. Um, he says, but you do have to get your license first. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> And uh, yeah, here in Wisconsin, we are requiring a cheesemaker's license. So I had to go back to school, hooray. Um, and uh, there was a little bit of a bummer at that time because we have five little children and, you know, so life is busy. But um, so I went back to school. And if you have your license for 10 years, then you actually can apply for um, the master cheesemaker program, which I kind of postponed for five, six years. But uh or, yeah, I got pushed left and right within the team even. And I'm like, okay, maybe I was afraid that they wouldn't accept me because it's also a big thing to be accepted. And uh, when you get accepted, uh, you go back to school for three years. Never thought I would be excited about that. <laughs> I always say, like, um, I'm not a scientific cheesemaker. I like to touch the curd, feel the curd, and um, then you know when the curd is right with washing and when it needs to be pumped to the drain table. So I'm more like a musician that doesn't read the notes, but now I have to go back to school to learn the notes. So. Yeah, I think in a way, cheesemaking is like perpetual learning too, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's an art then. Um, and then I would, if if I make it successfully, I'm going to be in a class of 2025 and I would be the third woman um, uh, to have a master. Uh, Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Trailblazing. And uh, so you mentioned that you had six cows. 
in the Netherlands? Was 60 it? cows. Oh, 60. 60. Sorry, 60 yes. 60 cows. Yes. And here, uh, your, your farmstead operation, how many cows do you have? We have about 400 cows. 400. So, yeah. And we make, uh, we're uh, making almost all the milk into cheese to a farmstead Gouda, raw milk Gouda cheese. So, and we feel comfortable doing that because uh, we have to circle complete. So we know how the cows are being treated, how we treat the milk. Uh, from the moment that it comes out of the other, uh, it goes under the underground through a pipeline into our cheese vat. So we have minimum damage from transportation or temperature differences. So um, I always say one of the secret ingredients are our Gouda cows. Gouda cows. What breed of cows are you milking? So it's a mixture of everything. So we have half of our herd is Holstein cows. Um, then we have a quarter that are the brown Swiss cows. And then we have a quarter that's a mixture of everything. Uh, Jersey, Fleckfee, uh, Montebiada. And um, so I would say when a cow calves, it's almost like Christmas morning when you unwrap your Christmas present. You never know what comes out of it. They all have their own... Um, Character. Some are nice. Some are a little bit rude. They have their own like, yeah, expressions. And uh, we actually have. So as a dairy farm, you still have to make money. So at the end, we love what we do. But at some point, sometimes we have to say goodbye to our cows. Um, but we have three cows in our uh, Gouda Ambassador program that will always stay with us. So um, we have sometimes a, a special memory that we share with them. Or so. And they're very cuddly and, and huggable. And um, so we have three cows. We had to limit it. Um, that will stay with us um, until their last breath. So, yeah. And, so, and, um, no, I love that. And do they have names? They all have names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do, uh, um, they all have names. And, um, yeah, so we, uh, it, it makes it very personal. Yeah. And they are very personal to us, so. I want to say congratulations on your most recent wins at ACS, at the American Cheese Society Conference. And you are highly awarded for your cheeses. Your cheeses have won numerous recognitions. And you often talk about your team. I mean, you don't make cheese alone. It's a team effort. Can you tell us a little bit about your team? Yes. So uh, that's another secret key ingredient to our uh, cheese because I never knew how much work it was to make cheese. So when I started, uh, Martha, who actually was helping milking cows on our farm, um, she came and she heard like, oh, I would love to help you make cheese. I'm like, yeah, but Martha, that's it's just a little bit of cheese, you know. So but she came back three times and then I, I'm like, OK, you're hired. I have no idea what you're going to do because I did not know what I was going to do. Um, and she's, um, she never left me. So we're, uh, we're now almost 17 years in and she's still with me, my first team member. And her sister came on board and then her brother-in-law. So if there's a family reunion, we have an issue going on. <laughs> we actually would shut down then the creamery. Um, but they're so important to me because it, it, we, everybody puts their dedication and passion in it and um, I think that's what you can feel through the cheese too so um, it my team is really what the people is what it really is is about so yeah we were talking with Orphe from Alpinage about a little bit about the difference between making cheese or and the cheese culture community of France and the United States and and uh, and also about Wisconsin and some things that he has really come to appreciate about Wisconsin. Do you notice things in particular between the Netherlands and Wisconsin, things that are uniquely Wisconsin about cheese making that have surprised you? Oh, yeah. So cheese is not just cheese. Well, uh, and we all know that it, it's a piece of art. You put a lot of passion in it. And there are a lot of other industries where people put passions in it to it. But I always feel like people, when they love food, uh, a drink here and there and good friends like and music, uh, they just seem to enjoy life a little bit more and the, the, where the true values in life are laying. So if I have an issue, it's not like they're... I can call anybody, and they would um, they would almost give me the shirt of their back of their shirt, you know. So they they will help you. Like if I had a discussion with my lender, I can call them. Hey, how do you do? How do you appreciate your cheese inventory? What, how is your lender dealing with that? Or you know, um, if you have any kind of issues, like 
they all want to help and consolidate the products and you're not in competition with each other because we all have a unique uh, cheese on top of that. But um, yeah, we're here all here too. We are only stronger together uh, right. mentality um, and that's very strong in the cheese industry. Yeah, and now we are looking at, you've been doing this for 17 years? Yep. Almost. 17 years. Oh my gosh. And you have a variety of different Goudas. I, um, for a long time, I was very partial to your smoked Gouda. I love um, all of your Goudas. The fenugreek Gouda was new to me when I was selling it on the counter at a shop in New York City. I had never had fenugreek in cheese before. Uh, where where do you get inspiration for for doing something like that? And are there other do you have other ideas for your gouda? Yeah, so uh, the fenugreek actually when I went back to Holland to see how we actually make gouda, as I did not know and I wanted to start it, um, I had some fenugreek gouda over in Holland and I'm like, this is good. So I ordered some herbs from Holland, I cooked it, and it smelled so bitter when I cooked it the first time, but I did add it by the, the next day in the batch of cheese and it won right away an, an award four months into our cheese avenger. Um, and it has that nutty maple syrup flavor. Um, it, it's a hit and miss sometimes because I one of my favorites is also black pepper mix and it never took off. So, <laughs> and it was too much to like, Marike, really, we cannot continue making that just for your personal pleasure. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, sometimes it, it and, but most flavors did really well. So traditional for Holland is the mustard, the burning nettle melange, the cumin. And then somebody in our team came up with like, hey, let's try smoked cumin. And uh, so we did that, and um, a an, uh, cheese friend uh, in Thorpe, he came one time and said, Marika, there's Kobe cheese, but why is there another Thorpe cheese? So I'm like, yeah, great, another person that has ideas. I have enough of my own, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but I pulled a joke on him. I made actually um, a Thorpe cheese. I put some wine in it. I had Lambrusco wine with the cheese skirts. I made a wheel for him. Um, I actually cut out the 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 cardinal bird out of our community guide. I had some really red coating sample ordered and I brought it to him on a Sunday evening with two beers and I'm like, okay, Phil, no more complaining. Here you have your Thorpe cheese, right? And I said, oh, great. Well, what did he do? He, because it was such a big wheel, it's my own fault, he spread it through Thorpe and said, Marika is now making Thorpe cheese. And um, so people came in left and right asking for Thorpe cheese. So now we started making whole batches of Thorpe cheese with uh, Lambrusco wine in it. So, yeah, it's crazy. I, my jaw is dropped because I love Lambrusco. Lambrusco's kind of had a moment. It's made a comeback. More people are familiar with what Lambrusco wine is. Yeah. I mean, you know, about 30 years ago, Lambrusco was kind of not, didn't yeah. have the same. It was kind of considered like a sweet, you yeah. know, wine. But now that we all kind of have more sophisticated palates and understand it, yeah, it's great timing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just great. And it won an award. And then in our, in our team, if you win the award, sometimes it's not even a competition, but it's a competition within the team because everybody can put their name by the flavor that they think is going to win. And uh, Phil's name was, of course, behind the Thorpe, and it won a couple awards already. And he went up in his tuxedo. He was so proud and grabbed the award. And yeah, and he's in his 80s. He just recently passed away. But, oh, wow. Yeah, but it's like listening to people around you and just try things and you will see where it goes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Innovation seems to be yeah. um, a theme of the conversations we're having today and Wisconsin being a place where that allows for innovation. Yeah. So even with cheese, that seems like it's not always the same thing every day. It no. does, you know, so, um, now, again, 17 years on, the company has grown, and are there growing pains? Are oh, you, gosh, yes. Do, do those ever <laughs> stop? I don't know. I was wondering if they ever stopped, but yeah, there were so many moments that I thought, okay, I had a great time. We're not going to make it, but man, I learned a lot. So I thought that a couple times we could have gone belly up many, many times. And I don't know, for some reason, like Tina Turner says, keep those wheels on turning, right? So uh, we always have found a way around it. So and I think that's one of my um, better points. I think there's always a way around it. There's always something. You have to be really creative. Uh, but yeah, it has been really, because we... I only had 10,000 euros in saving money and then my, 
my parents did another 5,000 euros. Um, that was about $18,000 that I started off with. And it sounds really cool, but it's horrible because there is no money that goes into cheese inventory. And here in uh, Wisconsin, and it's, it's getting better, we are so used to loaning, lending money towards a cow. Uh, but they are not used to lending money to cheese because it's uh, it's perishable. So I had this conversation with the lender many times. I'm like, what's perishable? If the, the dairy farmer is getting sick and you come back into the barn after two weeks, what do you have? A dead cow, right? And with cheese, I get sick for two weeks. I come back in the aging room and I have a little bit more than the cheese, what I do not desire on Gouda, but I clean it up and I actually grew in value. So what is perishable, right? right. So uh, we did invent uh, Gouda to keep milk longer. And so, and that's another thing that I love about Gouda. It only gets better as it ages. So, What's the youngest cheese you produce? Because we do have a raw milk uh, product. We can only sell after 60 days. So in Netherlands, if you compare it with the Netherlands, there is one of the difference. So in Holland, when you pasteurize your cheese, you are not allowed to call it farmstead. Even though it's a farmstead cheese, you are okay. not to call it farmstead. Then it's cheese from the farm. Um, and over here, you, well, like pasteurization is a bigger thing. So you have to hold it. for. So in Holland, I could have sold the cheese with raw milk um, with 21 days because that's where the young flavor profile of Gouda is really good, too. It really starts there where it's creamy and buttery. Um, and here I have to wait for 60 days. So. Wow. So we're missing out on that here. We have to go to the Netherlands, everybody. <laughs> we got, <laughs> I don't know even, about that. But I wasn't even aware of that. And I've been to the Netherlands and I didn't know to look for that. So now I know next time yeah. I have to look for that young. Gouda. There are different regulations. I feel the regulations in Holland are a little bit tougher on the begin product, the milk, because if it's older than two days, you're actually not allowed it, uh, to use it uh, unless you have permission. But after three days, it's a no go. So. And uh, over here, we have more, I think, stricter rules towards then the end product, right. not like the, the finished product. So Yeah. And, and your, your team, are there, is it just you and the people you mentioned? Are you doing the flipping and the, all of it? Yes. And but I'm heavily relying on my people, too, because otherwise if we couldn't sit here yeah. and talk and have this interview. So, right. Um, and we as cheesemakers, we, we come up with the recipe and and we work along and we well, but at some point you grow because, well, if you don't grow that, well, that's a choice, of course. So but if you continue growing, you cannot do it all. You have so many hats that you have to wear. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, the people around you are still making sure that the wheel keeps on rolling. So yeah, we clean our wheels uh, twice a week with water and vinegar, and then we sanitize the wooden shell. So aging is also a different, um, uh, compared to the traditional way of how it's happened here in America, like vacuum packed in a cold storage, uh, Gouda or Gouda is ripening in a 50, 55 uh, Fahrenheit and about around 80% of humidity in our aging room. So, and we do not desire malt. So we clean our cheeses with water and vinegar uh, a couple times a week. So you are also open to the public? You have visitors? Yes. And have do. you seen that grow over the years? Yes, we did. So uh, we like uh, today is actually 11 years ago that we moved to our new location right on the Highway 29 in Thorpe, Wisconsin. And, um, and just that visibility of that location, 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 uh, it's sure um, that's so true. So we um, the increase of people that come visit us before we were about three miles off the highway. It was not horrible, but you couldn't see it. So then you cannot make that like, oh, yeah, no, I see it. I can stop quickly, get it before I have to go home and make a meal. And uh, so that it really increased uh, our visitors. And we wanted to make sure that we could also educate. So when we relocated, uh, we made it really visitor friendly. So we give tours. And uh, we're back to pre-COVID numbers of about 150,000 people that come visit us every year. It's so, amazing. 150,000 people. Yeah. And year. I love it. Like they come and they want to learn about the dairy industry and cuddle with a calf and snuggle with a cow. And yeah, that's incredible. Have you, you were at the ball last night, the cheese ball last night. Have you um, any impressions about this first Art of Cheese event? Like, what are your feelings about this? Wow, yeah, they definitely should do this every year. But it's also, 
the consumers, the, the cheese enthusiasts. Yes. Like I'm blown away with the people and just talking with you, like pre-interview already, how you like, how, yeah, I just love it to hear you talk about your visit yesterday by Andy Hatch and, uh, and that's where we do it for, for people like you that, right. yeah, I know, but you feel so appreciated yeah. and sometimes times are hard, but then you think about the people that I still remember my first compliment, somebody that took his time to say, every time eat, I eat a piece of your cheese, it makes me smile. So I'm like something I created made a, somebody's life, maybe a moment in the day, a little bit easier, made them happy. Yeah. How mind blowing is that? Right. And that you're able to do that for people who may be thousands of miles away in a cheese shop in New York, like it, sell your cheese and make somebody smile. Yeah. That you so. can touch somebody's life through cheese. Yep. I think that's a beautiful way to end this conversation. Then Thank you so much it. for joining us. Thank you for having Marika, me. It was wonderful having you in the podcast lounge. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm here with Ricardo Gutierrez-Cruz. Welcome to the Podcast Lounge. Wow, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. We're excited to talk to you. You are a cheesemaker and an affineur, which is the term we use to talk about the person who finishes the cheese, works on the aging of the cheese. Exactly. And you have a rich, long history in cheesemaking. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, <laughs> it's a kind of funny story of why I get to the cheese business. And mostly I blame my father. <laughs> <laughs> because when I was in the college, my, my degree is full engineering. He, he was with always his dream for always was that own a dairy farm. Why? I don't know why, but it was his dream always. He always talking about that. Someday, someday I will build this dairy farm and he always drawing and showing us. So at the point that he sold his business that he has, and he, he started building that dairy farm. So when he set up the dairy farm, it was like around 250 cows. 250 uh, cows. And where was this? In the north side of Mexico City. So after a couple of years, when he was just working with the dairy farm, he started to facing the issues to sell the milk. Because sometimes the cheese factories that he sold the milk when he has the spikes to production of milk, they didn't take care, they, they didn't take all the all milk. All of it, right. So he was like, okay, what I will do with the rest of milk? No, it's not that I can just put in a, a storage. Right, it's going to go wait. bad uh -huh. if you, you use it or lose it. Yeah, so I remember that he was dumping milk to the drain a couple times and everything, and he was mad. So was just a random comment that we were, we were in a... I think we were taking drinks or something like that. And I just told him, well, it's easy to fix your problems. Let's make cheese, no? But at the moment in my, in the, in my college, it's not like a, the food engineering is not like, a, like a, a chef or something like that. It's more in the process, more in the chemistry, in the, and the therm science. thermodynamics, all this stuff, more in the design. So, I have an idea how to make cheese, but was very superficial. 
But when he said, yes, let's do it, was like, okay, well, <laughs> I just opened my mouth, what I will do. So I started to reach out people who make cheese and everything in Mexico. And it's when I started to taking courses in my college with these people. And the family of my father's side, they are from Spain, for the north side of Spain in Pamplona. So I just flew for to Spain. I, I told my, parent, my family that if they know somebody that can help me. And they introduced me a couple cheesemakers there. And it's when I start to dig in more in the affinage because I, a couple of these cheesemakers have a cave in Santiago de Compostela. Mm -hmm. There are natural caves that they age the cheese there with the breeze of the ocean and everything. Yes. They saw yes. the cheese there and everything. So I started to get like really nice. No? And I started to understand that how important first is the milk, no, of the to make the cheese. Second, the cheese maker, no, the the feeling, the passion that they have, but also a lot of people doesn't know or don't, didn't put the attention at the end, like the affinage, because if it's completely different. If you doesn't matter if you have good milk, good cheese making, but if you say, okay, this cheese, you, I we use vacuum seal in a bag and put in a cold storage, and in the other hand, you age this cheese in a cage, an open cage with all the conditions that they rind the bell of the flavors and everything, you will have two different products and completely different. It's amazing. It's a magic. Yeah, exactly. No? So, so it's when I started to look all these details and people was very open to share the knowledge with me that when I came to Mexico, I st we started in a very small scale. But after we growing, and also Mexico, the, the market is different like here. Because for example, there, when we opened the cheese factory, 90% of our product was fresh cheese. And used like a, between 10 or less was to aging cheese. So it was mostly that make the cheese today and tomorrow the trucks and the people were delivering the cheese for the customers. So we are starting to grow, you know? The business, we were very good, but we faced an issue that when we built this facility was in the limits of Mexico City. But after eight years, the city grow exponential. That we have, I remember we, when we start, we have just couple neighbors. At the end of the cheese, the business was like a thousand of people there, no? that we right. were dealing with license, permits, issues that the flies, the trucks in the morning. So the neighbors complaining, and we, I understand, no? when you move to a new house, you don't want to, that somebody in a truck is starting to make noise at 5 a.m. Five in the morning, yeah. All this. So we decided to sell the business. And at that time is when I say, well, okay, where's my next step, no? I didn't know what will be. So it's when I, in, in that eight years, I never took a, vac a vacation, it was just weekends and everything. And it's when I said, well, I have the time to thinking about it. So I never been here in the Midwest. And it's when I decided, well, I, never, I, don't, I don't know that part of the United States, the Midwest. So I came here to visit a cousin that he lives in Sheboygan. And I don't know, I, I started to, to fall in the charm of Wisconsin. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mostly it's so beautiful. I love the, how you can see the four seasons so clear. Mm -hmm. Because in Mexico, you have green and dry. That's right. it. <laughs> no? <laughs> and here you have the spring, how is the blooming, all the flowers and everything, then summer. That when people say it's too warm, and they say, well... If you go to Mexico, it's not that warm. <laughs> <laughs> and right. then right now, the fall, the colors of the leaves and everything, it's amazing. And obviously, the winter, snow. And, and all these charm that have this state, they starting to say, well, this is a really nice place to live. How relaxed, secure is, how the people is very friendly. 
So, and then like I came from Mexico City, it was like, I, I will not be in a big, big city. I live in Milwaukee, but the same, no? When people complain about the traffic, it's like, a, come They don't on, know. <laughs> traffic. I remember when I was in Mexico with the business, with the cheese business, drove two hours and a half in the morning, two hours and a half in the afternoon in the traffic, and was like, well, it is what it is, no? Right now, here is like a yep. nothing, no? <laughs> Did you, when that first visit to the area... Did you have cheese in your mind about either eating it or visiting cheesemakers or looking at dairy farms, or were you just... No, at all. Was, I, I just... Was you're on to, vacation. You shut off that uh -huh, part of your brain. I, I just disconnect my mind. But what's funny, because after a couple of days here, it's something like a, the cheese, like a magnetic, because in a kickoff of a campaign of a friend of my cousin was a lady that donated cheese, and she was just fixing the charcuterie board and everything. And I just started asking, oh, what kind of cheese is this, this, this? And we started to talking, and it, she was the manager of a cheese company in Chiboygan. So we started to talking that how my experience in cheese and fresh cheese and everything, she explained me how they they facing issues with the economic problems because like they the products that they have is mostly aged cheeses so they don't they didn't have cash flow so it's when I started to tell her no my story my experience that how we have the fresh cheese in the in Mexico that cover all the expenses the utilities and everything and then the 10% of the aging cheeses was mostly like a, or profit not the high profit that that we double or triple the price and everything. So she started to say, hey, do you want a tour in the facility and everything? And I accept, so I went to visit them. And just in my mind jumped the idea, well, you have this facility, I have the experience, why we not develop like a fresh cheese line? Amazing. And they agreed, the plant manager and she agreed, we started to working in the details and everything. Then I came back to get my visa because they, they, I have the lucky that Mexico and the United States have the NAFTA. So if, if I have a project or a offer of a job, the Department of State, they can give me the, this kind of visa. So it was very, for me, the lucky was very simple. So I came here and I started working with them. The name of this company was Saxon Creamery. Yes. Very familiar. There's a picture of their cheese on the wall downstairs of the... Yeah, yeah so I started working with Eric and Lisa, but here's coming a funny thing. I just worked almost a month because then the owner sold the company. And like a day sold to a big corporation. When we present our business model, they told us no, that the direction that they take in the business wasn't the direction of us. So it's like, okay, the, that dream just finished after 30 days. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, this is a classic case of when one door closes, another door opens. But it seems like the door opened, but it wasn't done yet. <laughs> exactly. So then I just was like, okay, what is the next step? Not already I moved here. If I go to Mexico again, I was like, no, let's try another shot here. So I was just consulting company about food safety, trying to set more in the, like a consulting way in the food safety. But then I received a call for a, the master cheesemaker from Dorats and Cheese, that is Mike Brennan's tool. And he invited me to, to his company that say, hey, look, we are facing some issues in the Avenash thing. I would like that somebody with knowledge starting to take over me, he wanted to retire. So I started consulting with them, but after a couple months, he offered me, like, say, look, Ricardo, I offer you that you be in charge of all the production side, all the cheese side, so he can semi-retire and look more for sales. So it's when I take, take over all the production side in Dorrits and Cheese. And I was with them for four years, so we developed new recipes, we 
improve all the procedures that they have in place for aging, and we put new ones, we increase the kind of cheeses that they have, we're starting to get more like a formal. We get the certification of, in SQF. So we were faced, you know, we're starting to get to fixing the, the way to this company. L like everything, you know, cycles start, cycles end. Right. So my cycle with that company finished. And right now I'm starting to work in together with Horse Dairyman Farm Creamery that is in Fort Atkinson. So you're finding um, opportunities for all of these skills you developed in Mexico, and it seems like there's cheese making, and then there's the affinage, and then there's still the food safety with the development of the SUF, and so you have quite the toolkit to be a consultant with. Yeah, well, what's a, a good, a really nice opportunity that they offer me, because it's, it's like I say, you know, first you need to have a really nice milk that mostly here in Wisconsin is, is a plus. Right. Because I remember when I started working with Saxon, the, the quality of the milk was impressive. It's not that in Mexico we produce bad milk, but the conditions and the weather and everything just get a little hard to the cows to get comfortable, like the cows from here, the grass fed, the weather, just all these variations that help to develop this amazing milk. So it's something that horse has because they have a dairy farm with Guernsey cows. So the milk that they have is really good. It's yeah, Guernsey, that's not, I mean, it's a beautiful breed. Not often, I've, I don't often hear about a full Guernsey herd. Yeah, these herds, Dairy farm is the largest dairy farm of Guernsey cows here wow. in the States. Uh -huh. And what does that, what does that um, translate to in terms of milk production or fat content? Or it, it, It's most in the fat content, in the solids that this, and the, the flavor, if you taste the milk, is rich in flavor than the Holstein. It's no high solids like uh, the Jersey. But it's, in, it's there. But mm -hmm. it's the, the percent of fat is higher than the other, other cows. Right. So when you taste the cheeses are very soft, very rich in flavor, very creamy. Even if you, for, for example, here in Coors Creamery, they have a aged cheddar that you expect, you know, that after, couple, after one year, get dry, a little crumble. Mm -hmm. But this cheese, after one year, is still that creaminess, very creamy, very soft. So even people say, yeah, maybe your cheese is not one year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, um, when you went over to Spain and you were apprenticing or learning about cheese making and those caves that you're talking about, Kara Warren, one of the hosts of Cutting the Curd, was able to go and visit those caves and the photographs that she, that were shared from that trip. It's incredible. I mean, because... I don't think we have, do you have anything like that in Wisconsin? I don't know. No, <laughs> I, I think will be a little hard because like at the weather, no, it's a little extreme and like in, mm -hmm. in summer it's a little too high in humidity, too warm. And in winter it's too low in humidity and too cold. That I remember in that in Santiago Compostela, they have the perfect like uh, weather, like uh, was always like uh, between 55 to 60 something. Right. So it wasn't that warm, but it wasn't that cold because even in winter, other regions, they have snow and everything, but they, like, uh, they are very close to the ocean. Yes. The snow doesn't fall. So it's like a kind of, I don't know if they were very privileged to have that. And during that time, you were making aged cheese? You were working with cheesemakers yeah. who were making aged cheese. So do you have a preference? Is there a style of cheese that really kind of is like your passion? Or Well, it's not that I have a preference. It's mostly like a, how I want to show people. It's, for example, here in the, 
with Dorrits and cheese. With the, I develop a Mexican manchego that that recipe I developed in Mexico. But I wanted to show people, for example, the my heritage, my Spanish heritage, with the American techniques, but also with the European roots. No, it's like I bring three cultures together. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I I like to do that, that show people how. Food is like uh, the best ambassador. Yes. No, that maybe we can not speak the same language, something like that. But when you share something that is food, because everybody eats, so it's going to open the door for share cultures, share your experience, share your who you are. So this is why, I, if you ask me. Okay, Ricardo, you need to choose what kind of cheese. I will be hard to me because for, I like, for example, blue cheese. I really like gorgonzola. But on the other hand, I like parmesan, no? so it's completely opposite. And so I like fresh cheese also. So it's not that I have one preference. Mostly I like how people feel when they have a piece of cheese, how the story is behind that piece of cheese, no? Because a lot of people sometimes they forget when you buy a product in the market, all the effort that people needs to put in that product, all right. the, and, and it starts in the, the dairy farmers, no? That they need to, they work 24 hours for seven, the whole year, because they need to milk the cows every day. They need to, work in the fields, all this hard work, no? Then go to the next step that is the cheese makers that you need to get early, you need to take care of everything. You need to take care very seriously the food safety because also you need to worry that nobody gets sick when they eat, no? And then the people who delivers all this. So it's, it's like a hard work in, to make this kind of product that sometimes we just like a, by default, we say, oh, this is a nice piece of cheese. But yeah, what is the story behind that? Right. And something that I like here in Wisconsin, in, well, with organizations like the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, that they teach people, they show the people how it's not just a piece of cheese. It's a story. It's a, a story of life in that bite. So it's something that I, I really, really impre get impressed of this, like how here in Wisconsin, people are very proud of that the whole country know Wisconsin by the cheese. Yes, definitely. Do you think you have a little bit of, a, of an understanding now, looking back, why your dad was so set on be going, starting a second career as a dairy farmer? Does, does it make any sense to you now that you're, you're in it? <laughs> well, one thing that he, he always told us, no, that everything comes to the, to the root, no, that it is like a, who you are and how you live your life. And something that he likes is like a, all the people that is in the agriculture or in the dairy farm and everything, they are very humble. That they even so, sometimes they don't take the proud that they need to take. Mm -hmm. They are like, no, okay, it's like a, it is what it is. No, it's my life, but it's like a, if it wasn't for them, for them, we cannot eat. No, we will not have anything. So something that I understand why he switched the career is because he wanted something to kind of close to the nature. Because he always told me no, that when he was working in the office and everything, was like, okay, it's my work, but it's not like my passion. And something that he always told us to my brothers and me is always pursue your dreams. People will say that maybe you are crazy, other people know. No, I don't know. It's when, when I talk with my fiance Patricia, she always say, I will never think about the cheese world that she's discovering with me. No, she was thinking I, that all these events and how important 
people in the cheese yeah. business take care and everything were like a like a normal people doesn't know, no? And like and, and it's something that my father told us, no, pursue your dreams. And I can tell you that I'm living my dream because I like to make cheese. It's like a, when people say about wine or beer, because you start with a product that is simple. Well, I don't want to say simple, no, it's very complex, but it's like a liquid that is not, you, you see, not this, the milk, but after several process, you finish with so many different kind of cheeses that you can imagine that is, is when I say, I like that. I'm going to end that right there because that's, I'm speechless. There's nothing left to say. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. That, that is it. I would love to have you back on Cutting the Curd for a longer conversation to talk about some of the initiatives you're starting to work on in Wisconsin with cheese and cheesemakers. Um, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast lounge today, Ricardo. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cutting the Curd. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and please leave us some stars and a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Also visit heritageradionetwork.org where you'll find all the back episodes of Cutting the Curd and other podcasts. Consider becoming a member and support independent food radio on Heritage Radio Network. Until next time.